Before I preach another word I have, um, I just felt to declare a word of restoration over us. Um, You know, some of you might be thinking, you've been here for an hour and, you know, where are things going? Well, let me tell you, we're a a church that loves praise and worship um, and really is passionate about the role that praise and worship has uh, in our own lives and in the spiritual realm. And if that has dried up for you, God wants to restore that to your life. We're also a church that's passionate about everybody being blessed financially and spiritually, emotionally and physically. That's why we'll interrupt worship to pray for people. And, and I never want that to change. I never want to be part of a church where we can't pray for people to be well. We can't pray for people to be encouraged. I think that's what people need to come to church for. It's for the opportunity to be ministered to in a multiplicity of ways. We want you to be blessed financially. That's why we labor the, the point about giving and about finances because it's such a big part of our lives. Those of you who've got a lot, it's good. And those of you who don't have much, you realize how big a part of your life finances are when you're short. And so we never want you to be short. We want you to be blessed. And then we want to, and so if you, if you are struggling or dry or empty in any of those areas, I believe God wants to restore that to you. And then when it comes to the Word of God and living according to the Word of God and being hungry for the Word of God, I never want that to stop. I never want to be a preacher who bores you. I never want to be uh, the kind of place where you can sleep unless it's a demon putting you to sleep. Then I want that de- demon delivered. But um, if you've had a rough night and a hard night, I want it to be so enthralling that you can't miss it. And so I want the the hunger and the passion for God's Word restored to your lives. And so there's a lot of areas we need restoration in in our our church life. I'm believing God for restoration in leadership and restoration in ministries, restoration in, uh, in the lives of people who can carry the weight of the ministry, not just here but around the world. So there's a lot of things God wants to restore. And so I'm going to declare the Word of the Lord. Be glad, people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God. For he has given you the autumn rains. Just so happens we're there. Because he is faithful. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains, as before. The threshing floors will be filled with grain. The vats will overflow with new wine and oil. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten, the great locust and the young locust, the other locusts and the locust swarm, my great army that I send among you. You will have plenty to eat until you are full, and you will praise the name of the Lord your God, who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. Lord, I just declare that in faith and in obedience. I just say, God, that there's going to be a a season of fullness and a season of restoration coming to us, each one of our lives. And we're going to overflow with praise and with thanks for the good things that you've done to, to us and for us. In Jesus' name I pray. On that, I had a meeting on Monday with the Anglican Archdiocese. I hope I've got the terminology correct. And um, uh, we are in negotiation for the building at St. Cecilia's. And if uh, the lease is finalized and everything goes according to plan, on the 1st of July, we will take possession of the lease of St. Cecilia's Anglican Church up on the hill in Quinns Road. So that's really good news. Praise God. And uh, it, is, it, is a, it is a tenure lease, and it is a, v- a very affordable rate, and we have first offer to purchase. So this is the inheritance that God has for us as a church family, I believe. This is what we're going to set up for generations to come. We're going to have a church home where our families, young people, are going to be able to come to and experience God and pray and meet with God, and it's going to last for generations. Uh, It's going to be the tabernacle of David, like it's described in the book of Chronicles. It's going to be a place where there's day and night prayer, prayer, praise, and worship. It's going to be a house, a light on the hill that cannot be hidden. And uh, I'm looking forward to to that day very shortly. And we'll celebrate our first birthday in our new building, I believe, on the 9th of of July. Not our first birthday, our ninth birthday, thank you. Okay, so today I have to go a bit old school because um, computers and technology that you come to rely on can sometimes let you down and then what do you do? 
So I'm back to paper and pen and highlighters and all that thing. Unfortunately, you can't see that. So we only have uh, the scriptures on the screen. So you're really going to have to listen this morning. So I'm going to pray for you. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord God, that when you speak, it brings life to us. It brings light to us. It brings understanding. It brings wisdom. It brings strength. It brings courage. It brings uh, direction. God, I pray this morning that you would do all of that through your mighty word. And I pray that you'd fill my mouth with your word and you'd fill the ears and the hearts of your people with your word this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So over the past couple of weeks, I've been asking the question, why are we here? Why are you here this morning? It's good to see you. I'm really glad you are here. And I'm not saying this to chase you out the building. But I'm asking, why are we here? What is the purpose? What is the role of this? And it's good to wrestle with things like that uh, because you want to know the why. It it doesn't matter about what we do or how we do it or whether we do it perfectly or whether the curtain is slightly open behind me and is annoying my wife and she's asked me to close it, but I didn't because I forgot. It doesn't matter about that slightly ajar thing. It doesn't matter if that door's open and that light's on, which bugs me, and I've been looking at it all through worship, wondering who's going to close it. You know, it doesn't matter about all those what's and business and all that. The why is really important. Why I'm here. Over and above the little, you know, the curtains and the this and the that and the sound and the heat and the cold and all that stuff. Why I'm here is because God called me here And God has a job for me to do here, a role for me to play. And I believe God has called you here. And there's something very significant and very important that God wants you to do. And it's important that you know why you're here. Because you're going to go through situations and and times and seasons where the why gets dim. And the what and the other things rise up to try and cancel that. And thank you, Alita. I think you're about to do a mission. Well done. And uh, those other things will rise up. So I want to tell you, we are here to be a kingdom community. We're here, okay, focus, here I am, not a leader, okay, focus. We're here to be a kingdom community, to be a community of faith, a people of God, like the nation of Israel was called out of all the nations to become God's chosen people. We, called out from all the nations, are here to be a kingdom community. We're here to show people what it looks like when the people of God are following God and are living for God, and it's expressed in all of our relationships, in all of our actions, in all of our attitudes, in all of the things that we do and the way we do them, you will see reflections of the kingdom of God in it. We're also here to be a regional spiritual hub. We call this an apostolic and prophetic center for the nations built on a foundation of prayer. We are here to raise, to identify, raise up, equip, and train missionaries, people who want to go for God. That's why we're here. People who don't really want to go for God, unfortunately, don't always last long in this church fellowship. Because the challenge comes again and again. When will you go? Who will go for me? We assume, we've come to the point now where we assume that every one of you wants to go for God. Want to do something for God. And and if you're not ready, that you're here to get ready. And so we want to train you to be a missionary. We want to train you in prayer. And we want to train you in the prophetic um, picture that you are to the world. That you live differently, you make decisions differently, you express your religion differently because you are a prophetic picture to anyone around you. Anyone can read the story of your life and can find out what it means to follow Jesus. That's what it means to be a prophetic picture. That's what we're trying to create in every one of our lives. But we also live in the current context, don't we? So here's this why. We're here to make this a kingdom community, to be a regional spiritual hub. We, we really have a task for the whole region that we've taken on board. We're, ta- we're taking the intercessory role of stepping into the gap, of saying our region is a valley of dry bones. There are people dying in the valley of decision. There are people who, who look like they're alive, but they're really the walking dead. There are people who've got no soul, no future, no spiritual dimension going on. They, they're dead and lost in their sin, and we know that, and we're standing in the gap. We're, we're stepping into the gap of saying, God, we will fight for them. We will pray for them. We will serve them. We will love them. We'll, so we do a, a, a whole host of different things to try and express that, but we also... Uh, live in a context right now that is very significant for the entire nation. 
And I shared last week about our mandate for the nations, that every one of us has something so big inside of us that it goes well beyond our own life and our own family and our own uh, street and our own village and our own city. It goes well beyond. It goes into nations. Right from the beginning, it was a mandate for the nations. Right here, right now, when Jesus came, he restored that, the mandate for the nations, go into all the world, make disciples of the nations. And then here we are, representative of a number of nations and with the capacity to influence this nation and many other nations. And so we are right now in a time where this nation is on a precipice. This is the context that we're operating in. So post-election where we think, we won, we've got to be so careful and so uh, wise to understand that, yes, we won the battle, but the war is still raging. And we have to take on the God-given characteristic and identity of being warriors who are prepared to do warfare for God. Now, don't hear me wrong. Don't, don't think I'm telling you to pick up a gun or a bomb and go blow somebody up. That's not it. I'm going to explain this in a minute. There are other religions where that's how they express warfare. We're not like them. Okay? So we, we are going to express the warfare mandate that we have in a very powerful way that's going to shift things over the nation. So, what's the picture that we, we could point to for where we are post-election? In 2 Kings, chapter 20, verses 1 through 5. Do we have that on the screen? We do. So, this is a story about King Hezekiah. He's uh, the ruler of, the, of, of Judah. The, the nation of Israel has split into two tribes the tribe of Israel and the tribe of Judah, and Hezekiah. Now, now Israel has gone way off course at this point. They are, they are godless, and, and they are lost, and they're behaving like the heathen. And then you have Judah, who's still just clinging on, just clinging on to their, their God, their, their, their religion, their, way, their, their values, their principles. Sound familiar? You've got the Western civilization. That's Some of them have just gone, and you've got a few pockets where there's still... Somebody fighting for these Christian values to be, re, to be retained. And so Hezekiah finds out that he's going to get sick and he's going to die. And so he makes a call out to God, please, please spare me. Don't let me die. Give me some more time. And so God gives him an extra 15 years. And it's during that 15-year period. Okay, should we read the story? In those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death, and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Then he turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart, and have done what was good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And it happened before Isaiah had gone out in the middle of, into the middle court, that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Return and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears, surely I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord. So there's the story. I see so many parallels in that story for where we are as a nation and as Western democracy. I see how we are on a timeline and we're right at the end of it and we're crying out to God for mercy. I saw how we prayed as the church of Jesus Christ on Friday night. And I know there's been prayer and fasting and weeping going on for weeks and and weeks before this election. And I saw how we prayed and I, I know that God heard our prayer and the prime minister was astute enough to say this is a miracle we we got a miracle and just like hezekiah got a miracle what he did in the next 15 years is telling three years after he was healed he had a son named manasseh and when hezekiah died the 12 year old manasseh came to the throne and that signaled the end of the reign of judah From that point on, Judah went downhill, and then it wasn't long before both tribes were taken into captivity and lost for hundreds of years. And it was Daniel who brought him back. And um, 
but here we had a young, in this period of extra time, this reprieve that was given to the nation of Israel, a 12-year-old king is, is raised up, is obviously not being fathered in the same way that Hezekiah behaved, because his attitudes are totally opposite. He institutes polytheism, where the nation of Israel says there is one God, and now he says, no, you can worship any God you like. You're all free to go for it. And he rebuilds the high places, which are places of witchcraft and places of idolatry and places of, of sin and um, immorality and lawlessness. He sets them up again. And so Israel, Judah becomes just like every other nation on earth. During this time, Hezekiah invites some guests from Babylon, the future conquerors, to come and visit him, and he shows off the entire wealth of the nation. He, got, he takes them on a tour. Look at all the stuff we have. Look at all the wealth. Look at all that God's blessed us with. How great are we? And he is warned that this was a foolish thing to do and that it's going to happen when he dies that Babylon is going to invade and take all the wealth and all the children, the sons and daughters, into captivity. And Hezekiah's response is not the same as his response when he found out he was going to die. His response is, well, as long as it doesn't happen in my lifetime, let my kids deal with it. Now, if you're clever and you're able to draw the links here and connect the dots, you'll see what the Lord's trying to say to us through this little story. We've got a moment of reprieve. We've got a few years to make some differences. And if we do not take up the mandate for the nation and the characteristic of being warfaring warriors for God who will fight not just for our generation but for the generations to come, who will be prepared to fight for them, all those beautiful young people that were left standing are going to inherit a mess that is going to be extremely, exceedingly difficult to unpick. And so I really feel this heavy, and I, and I believe this is what God wants us to focus on today as we, we consider our context, we consider all the reasons why we're here I want to tell you, if it does not affect your prayer life, if this knowledge and this understanding does not affect your prayer life and doesn't change the way you see yourself as this generation, well then, there is something majorly wrong with your Christian walk. Like you cannot be engaged with the Spirit of God and the world around you and not have a response of some kind that says we've got to fight for our kids. You, you, I just don't understand how you couldn't do that. You end up like Hezekiah who goes, well, pff, who cares, as long as it's not my problem. So Isaiah's prophesying about the wreckage and the carnage of kings like Manasseh and what was required to get Israel back to where they needed to be. I think if we're honest, we can look at some of our Christian foundations and the institutions that are discipling our children, and we can say they're ruined. But we have an anointing to rebuild that ruin and say, no, God, we don't want that. I don't want schools that teach about gender fluidity and that the English subject, the assignments that they give our children are to argue why there's misogyny preventing any girl from rising to any kind of capacity in life, how this misogyny thing has just taken over every institution. I don't want that to be the English curriculum. I don't want the conditioning about gender fluidity and about sexual identity and about all these things to invade the school. I want schools to teach how to count how to write, how to spell. That would be novel. I would, I'd love a school that taught children how to think. 
and how to ask questions. How to look at history and then say, well, are we repeating any of those patterns today? I mean, can we rebuild the ruin of our education system? Can we tap into an anointing for that to take place? Can we raise up Christian sons and daughters who are capable of being Daniels, Shadrachs, Meshachs, and Abednegoes, who can go into Babylon, who can go into these places, schools, education, government, um, business, these places that are overrun by the enemy. Can we send in sons and daughters who are fully equipped to know how to stand in the day of evil and win the battle and turn it around. Not a majority, but a minority of real men and real women of God. 20 years old, head and shoulders above the 40, 50-year-olds who've given the fight away. Can we believe for that? Can we raise that up? Can we tap into an anointing to raise that up? I believe we can. Can we repair the devastation of sin? Can church become about a place where men and women can be restored? Marriages can be restored. Families can be restored. Hope can be restored. Faith can be restored. Can we, where, where trust in leadership and authority and the Godhead can be restored. We need this so desperately. Can we tap into an anointing to allow that to happen? I believe that's what's available to us, and I'm going to preach and lead and walk according to that word. I'm going to do that to the best of my ability. That's the action. That faith without works is dead. I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. I'm going to do my best to raise up sons and daughters and to facilitate that happening. And I want to encourage you. I know some of you, man. You guys are incredible. I want to point you out and say a name, but I'm holding back. You just don't realize what kind of a man and a woman you are. You haven't tapped into that anointing yet. You don't understand what you're carrying. You still think you're not good enough. You still think you don't have it. You've got to leave that lie behind because this hour needs you more than ever before. We need people who can step up and say, I'm going to step into this anointing, this grace, and I'm going to do something. And so we need a, a church that's mobile and active and, and muscular and, and, and can dynamic and can work and do things. We don't need a church that's listless and lethargic and asleep and rolls in and says, oh, well, same old, same old. This is not the hour for that. I don't know what's been holding you back. I don't know how many hurts and how many regrets and how much shame and guilt you feel and you carry. I don't know what's been holding you back. But I want to tell you that this morning, God woke me up. And I didn't want to wake up. He woke me up. And he said, he said to me, stop looking back and start walking forward. You can't, you can't look back and walk forward at the same time. You'll fall into a hole. You'll, go, you'll, you'll, you'll hurt yourself. And so, uh, you know, I'm lying there going half asleep, going, what on earth? All right, Lord, I'll, I'll just park that until I'm conscious. And here it is. There's something that you guys, my brothers, my sisters, you've got to be able to go put it at the cross. Is the cross big enough to take it all? Is the cross enough? For you, for me, to say, man, without that, I am part of the problem. I, I am part of this devastation that will come to this nation. I, that's me. And I, I was sort of hoping I'd have a better life. But because of the cross, it's big enough to wipe away the stain. Cleanse me, give me hope, vision, future, and I can believe that I can walk forward now. And if you don't know the cross of Jesus Christ in your life well enough, you need to go back and start there afresh. You really need to meet the Savior, who's a redeemer and a restorer. And so if you can act and you start acting, 
you start walking in faith, you are going to need to pray. Because trust me, you're going to face obstacles, giants in the land, situations, that even though you're walking forward, you're going to feel very small. And you're going to need to know how to pray. And so in these next few minutes, I want to give you a pattern for praying in this hour. This is how Hezekiah should have responded to the 15 years he was given. This is how the church must respond to the three-year period we've been given. This is how we must respond for the sake of our children. Please listen. We start in Ephesians 1, verses 20 to 21. Do you have it on the screen? And essentially, this gives you your starting point. Where Matt read from, Pastor Matthew read from Psalm 24, verse 1. And he said that Jesus is in charge of it all. Ephesians 1, 20 to 21, it reminds us that Jesus is in charge of it all. When God worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. You need to see the finality of the the authority, power, and rulership of Jesus as your starting point. When we start praying, we're not praying from a, gee, I wish you could do this, Jesus. Gee, I really hope you can come through, Jesus. And I've been there. I've prayed unbelieving prayers plenty. But we've got to get our mind right. We've got to get into the place where we say, Jesus, I'm starting from the position where everything is under your feet. Okay, so that's the starting point. And you need to see these three key words in the starting point that he has the authority over principalities, powers, rulers, dominions. You need to see that. He has authority over those three things. A little bit further on in Ephesians 3.10, one of my favorite verses. When I first saw this verse, it changed my world. It changed my life. It gave me focus for the things that I was doing. It says, The intent was that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Who is the church? One more time. Who is the church? Yes, every one of us who's been born again and adopted into the family of God is now the church of Jesus Christ. You are not attending church. You are it. You didn't come here this morning to come to church. You came to be the church. We are the church. And so what we do as the church makes God's manifold, magnificent, amazing, multiplied, exaggerated wisdom known to the principalities and the powers in the heavenly realms. Now, this is a problem for Western Christians because we don't think about the spiritual arena much. We focus on the natural arena, and that's good. If God isn't able to jump into the natural arena with us, then what kind of a God is he? But maybe God's given us a pattern for how we change the physical arena, and it starts in the spiritual arena first. So if your prayer life isn't working and you're not seeing God in the natural, maybe your focus needs to come back to where it should be in the spiritual first. If you deal with things in the spiritual, things in the natural will take shape. They will flow accordingly. Trust me, I've done this for 40 years. Whenever I've tried to wrestle with stuff here in the natural, God, fix this. I've lost my wallet. I have turned the house upside down, the car upside down, the church office upside down. I don't know where it is. And... I've been like panicking, God, please, you're going to have to help me find my wallet. Like my whole life, it's dependent on this wallet. And God has not answered my prayer, and I've been worried. I've been like having a crisis of faith. Like, why aren't you talking to me, God? Why aren't you showing me where this is? Like, is there something wrong? Have I lost connection? Have I sinned? What's going on? Okay? And God has been very quiet on it, and... I believe that what he's trying to say to me is, you're very dependent on your wallet, aren't you? Like it has brought you to a place of 
desperation like few other circumstances have. Yes, but it's my license, Lord. I can't drive my car without a license. And I, apparently, my wife told me that the other day. And um, so I, I'm, I'm trying to rationalize with God how important this is. And God's just holding off, holding off, going, no, I'm not, no, no, no. So I don't know if I'm going to find my wallet. But what it is doing is it is creating in me a awareness that I am so caught up in the stuff here that I don't focus where I need to focus enough. And so I hope I'm not the only one who lives in that kind of an environment. And I hope you don't need a reminder like I've just had and uh, that you'll just listen to mine and act accordingly. And so there again, you see the words principalities and powers. Then we go forward to Ephesians 6 verses 10 to 13. Finally, my brothers, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, and against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. There's another one. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand you may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand. I want you to see three things here. Every one of us is called to engage in this warfare. Finally, pastors, put on the whole armor of God so that you can wage war. Is that what it said? Finally, Only men over the age of 50 take up your armor. Is that what it said? No. It said, finally, my brethren, everybody connected in the family of God, you are called to pray in a way that wrestles with these things. Now stop for a moment. Think about your prayer life. Think about how you have a prayer life currently and what it involves. How much of it involves wrestling with spiritual powers, principalities, and rulers of darkness? Only when they smack me in the face. And this, I believe, is where we're at as a nation as Christians who care about the future and care about the next generation, God wants us to start to wrestle in prayer in a way we haven't before. And he will use things to get your attention. He used my wallet to get my attention. I don't know what he'll use to get your attention. And, and it will bring us to a point of saying, you know what, there's a lot of focus in the world around me. I'm worried about this thing and that thing. And where I really need to focus my attention is up in the heavenlies. So firstly... We wrestle against principalities, the Greek word archae. This is where you get archetype. This is where you get the the overarching words like that. These are demons that are in control of or ruling a territory, a race, or a nation. Why would God give us a mandate for the nations, tell us that we're to go to the nations, to make disciples of the nations, Tell us that we carry within us the capacity to turn a nation. Why would he give us that and give us no prayer strategy to match? He wouldn't. So he gives us a prayer strategy. He says, focus your prayers on the principalities. In order to make a disciple of the nations, it's going to require prayer that wrestles with and and wrestles for the nation. So... I believe this kind of prayer is best done corporately. If we want to see the great south land of the Holy Spirit becoming a reality, our children growing up, our young people becoming missionaries and doing the things that the Holy Spirit inspires, if we want to see that, 
We're going to see them being of excellent character like Daniel and going into places and turning it around and turning it upside down. We want to see the abundance of God and the finances coming through in your world so that you can send and you can give. If you want to see that stuff, you are going to have to wrestle with a principality because there is a principality that is in charge illegally and illegitimately, but it is in charge. It is running the show. And the only way it's going to stop running the show is when the church stands up and says, listen, let me tell you something, demon, that the manifold wisdom of God is that Jesus is in control, that Jesus rules it all, and I'm part of that, and that means you've got to come under my heel. Now, if I do that on my own and I take on the demon over Australia all on my own, whoo boy, it's going to get tough. I'm going to need maybe two, maybe 3,000. I'm going to need a little bit of help. And so it is advisable that when you begin to take on principalities, that you do it together corporately. And that's what we did the Friday night before the election. Corporately, the church came together representatively of a number of churches and a number of families, a number of regions. We stood together and we said, shall I name it? Jezebel, you're not going to run Australia. We said, no, 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 this is going to be the great Southland of the Holy Spirit. This rebellion and this constant division and deception that we see running riot through our nation, no more. We're standing against you. And so we wrestled together, and it was joy. It was just the most fun I've had in ages. The worship was, a, was just crazy good. And we sang these songs that were prayers that were fighting the war, firing arrows and throwing lances and cannons. I mean, I'm a, I'm a boy. I was having a whale of a time. In the spirit. Now, I don't know if ladies, you can relate to that. I don't know. I'll, I'll pray you can. But like, it was fun. And it was the best prayer meeting I've had in ages. And we dealt severe blows to that spiritual authority, that principality. And we, here in this region, there is a principality that's been trying to run the show since we got here. Rebellion, division, deception. We've told you the story of how... Marriages were breaking up. Businesses were closing down. Home loans were being defaulted on at such a rate that you could not get a mortgage in Meroa if you went to a bank because of the rate of divorce and breakdown of family. And we came in and we prayed and we took on that principality and things turned around and they were lining up for a weekend to buy land. They paid students and and, and, and foreigners, 1500 bucks to sleep in their sleeping bag outside the land sales office in Butler to wait for three days for it to open to buy the next land release. Talk about a turnaround. That's not the mining boom, friends. That's the Christian boom. That's when the church goes, boom, boom, I'm going to shake the room. And the demons come down. Well... That's how it is. The second area that you've got to fight and war in, if you want to see the the future secured, children having the opportunities that we dream of, you've got to deal with the powers. The powers of 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 the enemy. Demonic powers. These are demons who are localized and they have the capacity to control, to influence, to create and enforce laws over a person or a group of people. I see it a little bit like a local council. If you ever had to deal with a local council, you know what I'm talking about. But I see it like the local council, parking fines, setting up the road rules and planning and all that kind of stuff. Well, there is a spiritual arena over a local area that has strategy and that has hierarchy and that has capacity to control and to lock down and influence. And when we came into this region, we saw it abundantly. Clarkson High School, two call-outs a day for the police. Why? Because there's two break periods. And in the two break periods, there's opportunity to fight. And so there was a fight in the first break and a fight in the second break and the police were called down and everyone's just standing there like, we can't touch them. We're not allowed to do anything. We've just got to watch. 
as we watch. I mean, this is where our education thing has arrived at. But anyway, we, we prayed and we said, no, 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 no. That's not how it's going to be. And we began to pray over Clarkson and over Butler Primary and over Marua Primary and uh, Quinn's Rocks. And I'm, I'm hoping I'm remembering all the schools. We were, we were praying and walking around and contending and saying, the powers that run this place, you're gone. You're not going to control and have the rule of bullying and fighting and mayhem in this place. You're gone. I remember seeing one of the principals, and he was so freaked out when I came into his office that he had a little elephant on his desk, and he went, this is my God. This is my God, pointing at his elephant. And I'm like, hi, pleased to meet you. Like he was like going half bonkers. We call that manifesting. And, um, and I sat down in the chair. I said, oh, very, well, tell me about your God. Well, it gives me good luck. How's that working in the school? And his eyes got big, and he got quiet, and he said, well, you know what? You're not getting into the school. We're not going to allow you in. Well, we got in, because that little elephant is not bigger than my God. And we got in, and we prayed for the staff, and the staff were crying. Some of them fell down in the staff room during that prayer time, and that was a bit funky. I was worried, and other people got upset. And, you know, it was interesting. And then they invited us in. We ran a program in in the school. And the culture of the school changed forever. Through prayer that wrestled with powers that said no. But God said yes. And so if you are not engaged in the powers that are controlling and exerting influence of your life, and over your kids' lives, and over our culture, then you're not wrestling the way that we are called to wrestle. And if we don't step into this, if we don't step into the magnificence of being the authority of Christ here on the earth, then we're going to consign ourselves and our future to wherever the principalities and powers want to take us. I'm speaking a word that requires maturity. Some of you have never heard stuff like this before. Some of you, the the whole idea of a spirit realm is like, huh? I just want to be a good Christian. Fantastic. That's a good aim, but not big enough. Enlarge your vision. Become more than a good Christian. Become a mighty warrior for Christ. Become his delegated authority on the earth. Pick up the armor of God and stand. Because a day of evil came and we won, but a day of evil will come again. And we need to be ready. And we need to know how to win. The final thing, not just principalities, not just powers, but rulers of darkness. These are demons who bring a spate of evil. They tempt and trap people. They are imps, impish. They bring malevolent destruction. So if you see a spate of break-ins, that is a ruler of darkness trying to get in. If you see a spate of graffiti... That is a rebellious spirit trying to get in. If you hear about fights on school grounds, that is a ruler of darkness trying to invade. If you see shops, new age shops and occult shops and and, and these kinds of things, that is a ruler of darkness trying to invade. Who is going to stop it and say, no? We can't rely on government We can't rely on counsel. We can't rely on these people. We, the church, are the ones who disarm them in the spirit realm. We render them absolutely tame, having no effect at all. And we say, you bow the knee to Jesus. You come under my heel. And then you know what? The anointing that people operate under from them, dries up. They don't want to fight anymore. They don't want to go and steal cans of paint and hang out on a Saturday night at midnight. They don't want to do that anymore. They don't want to get their fortune told. It dries up. And so the prayer we need to learn to pray 
is to be watchmen on the walls of our streets, our schools, our suburbs, who wrestle the lawless ones out of our region and bring peace in. Can we look at Ephesians 1, 17 to 23 as I close? The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation of the knowledge of him. That the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened and that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age but also in that which is to come. Paul repeats himself here again. This is so crucial. I'll be going on. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. All things under his feet, all things under the church. I don't know what's got over you. But if you're not being the church that knows how to wrestle and do warfare, then you're not coming under the power of Christ. And it is our responsibility as the men and women of God in this great nation to pray that this becomes the great Southland of the Holy Spirit. It's not going to happen because Ferdinand de Quiros declared it in 16-whatever. That wasn't enough. It was a statement of intent. That's what God intended. What it becomes for us is a statement of lifestyle. This is how we will live. We'll be the great Southland of the Holy Spirit. We will do what the Bible says. We'll wrestle and we'll win. And, and church, we need to start winning again. And you've got to know how to pray in order to win. And so if you've got issues going on in your life, in your world principalities, powers, and rulers of darkness. The only way these circumstances will change is when you deal with those principalities, powers, and rulers of darkness. Then watch what happens on the ground. Danny, you had a word. When we were praying this morning, um, God gave me a vision of, of a house, and all the windows were open in the house. And... Um, Basically, I saw it and I asked God, give me a little bit of help. I'm not seeing what you're trying to tell me here. And then he, he showed me a, a memory of mum a couple of days ago. And she was in the house and it was, it was nighttime and she's, oh, it's so cold in here. Why is it cold? Why am I cold? And then she looks around for a bit. She sits down. She says it's cold again. And then she looks to the side and she goes, oh, the big glass door to the, to the back to the back of the garden is open and all the cold air is coming in. It's, it's like quite late at night and the door's open. What God was showing me, sometimes we let the cold, we let the darkness into our own houses, whether it's ignorance or whether it's just not knowing or not wanting to know. We leave our windows and our doors open and then ask why it's cold. And instead of asking why it's cold, we just say that it is cold. And, you know, I got that word, and I was like, well, God, what do you want me to do with that? And he just said, well, he was giving me a little bit of a sermon on it. He does it sometimes. But it was basically, you know, you need to learn how to pray for discernment to see which one of those windows and doors are open. You need to learn how to pray. You need to read your Bible, and you need to gather together with Christians to help you shut all the windows and the doors in your house so that you're protected and so that God's heat can come in and fill that home instead of the heat escaping and leaving through those doors. So that was what God was telling me this morning. Fantastic. Please, please take this word home and, and meditate on it. Chew it over. And please, listen to what Danny's just shared. I believe a key in that is, 
is us being humble enough to come together and say, hey, you know what? Like, I, I, this is what's going on in my world. I need prayer. Can you pray with me? Because, you know, sometimes when you're dealing with stuff, it overwhelms you and you lose your footing. You can't fight from that place of victory. And so we don't want that for you. I do sense that God is just wanting me to close like this. So please, would you close your eyes just for a moment? If you have become a cultural Christian, where you do the Christian stuff, but it's dead, then God is calling out to you this morning. And he's saying, I don't want your religion. I want your heart. And if you want to ask God to forgive you of being cold and give you his fire in your life, then please would you raise your hand and say, God, that's me. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, just hold it up before the Lord like an offering. Say, God, that's me. I don't want this anymore. You can have my religion. You don't need me to go to church. You don't need me to give money. You don't need me to pretend to be a Christian. You want my everything. So, God, the pretense is over. I lay down everything, and I say, God, you can have my life. Help me to know how to pray, how to live. I want to live for you. God, hear the prayer of every man and woman who's prayed this this morning and act in their lives now, I pray. Send the power of your Holy Spirit to set their hearts on fire afresh. Give them a hunger for you, a hunger for your word, a hunger for the church, for fellowship, for worship. God, put hunger in their heart. Take out the dryness and the deadness and put in them passion, the real life that comes from you. Do that in all of us, I pray. May the peace of God the love of Jesus and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit be with you, I pray, as you go about your week as mighty men and women of God, warriors, missionaries for God. Amen.